0: Welcome to the Stott Legacy.
1: He is within us. He shares in the pain. We must not ask God to change his timetable because we're getting a little bit impatient. Or well, think of the beginning of the first
0: letter of Peter. John Stott was born on 27th of April 1921 and in this, the centenary year of his birth, we're meeting different people around the world who either knew him or who were influenced by him. Please join me, Mark Mannell as month by month, we explore different aspects of the extraordinary life, ministry, and
1: legacy of Uncle John. So our strategy came from the scriptures. Again, that was another of the influence that John Stott had. It was very much uh, culturally very different, I suppose, to what John Stott would have done. Uh, But um, the, the idea that strategy comes from scripture was from that background that we got.
0: These days, it's pretty unusual for someone to spend their entire working life with the same organization. But that's exactly what my latest guest, Ajit Fernando, has done. He's been associated with Youth for Christ in his home country of Sri Lanka for decades. After studies in the United States, he returned to head up the ministry, And it's only in the last few years that he's stepped back from leadership to give more time to the teaching and writing to which he's also been dedicated and become known. But John Stott had been an influence on Ajit from the earliest years because of his own father's love of Stott's books. It was only when he was in the States that he finally met Uncle John for himself.
1: The first time I met John Stott was when I was uh, studying at Fuller Theological Seminary. And um, of course, he was already my hero. So Mm -hmm. everywhere he spoke, I I went. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came up to me and he said, do I know you, brother? Mm -hmm. Uh, He had been in Sri Lanka just a little, a few months before that. And he had met my parents. So he knew my parents. Uh So I explained Uh that I was my parents' son. And then he gave me a big hug. And uh, that was my first encounter. I walked a few feet above sea level for a few <laughs> days. <laughs> <After that. laughs> yeah. So what, what year was that? Uh, that would have been around 1975.
0: Okay, so he'd only been travelling internationally for a relatively short time by then, hadn't he? Sort of about 10 years yes. or so.
1: Did you hear him when he was in Sri Lanka? No, uh, l- later, after I came back. Later, mm-hmm. I, I heard him. I, I actually got acquainted with him. Uh, my father is a layman, was, was a mm-hmm. layman, but he was very interested in theology and he used to get, he had a big library mm-hmm. and uh, he used to get the compendia of the Urbana Missions Conference.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: John Stott did the Bible studies uh, at that conference. I used to read those Bible studies. Mm. And then he used to always also get the Compendia of uh, Kesey Conference. Uh-huh. And again, I, I used to read his Bible studies. So I, I knew him through mainly through his books. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a university student at that time, uh, thinking of going into theology. And so that's how he really, that was my first exposure.
0: Hmm. Do you remember what it was about that his writing that gripped you i mean was there something that made him stand out from others that
1: you'd read do you think or was it just connections maybe actually my, my, i was led to christ mainly by my mother mm-hmm. who loved the bible and so she taught us to read the bible and so when i was uh, about 15 i used to read the scripture union keynotes
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: you know and uh, and so that uh, I grew up liking, loving the Bible. And then when I saw the Bible come alive in Bible exposition, uh, I was hooked onto him. So that's it, it was just the, the glory of Bible exposition. After that, my, my father had uh, commentaries of uh, the Tyndale commentaries, F.F. Bruce, uh, on I, I can't remember what book it was that he did, uh, Leon Morris, Now, F.F. Bruce on Acts in the New International Commentary Series, Leon oh, yes, Morris right? uh, uh, on First Corinthians. So these books I just devoured. I, I went page by page reading the mm. commentary. Took me about six months to complete a commentary. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the expositions of Stott brought scripture to life for me. And I determined that when I preach, I will preach from the scriptures.
0: And was that model of exposition common in Sri Lanka? Do you remember?
1: Uh, no, it was not common. But during my teenage years, we had an Irish pastor, a missionary, uh, Reverend George Good. And he used to preach expository, hmm. not as tightly controlled by the text as John Stott was. He had a big influence on me, this Irish missionary, but but, uh, generally it was not a common way of of, uh, Mm. teaching.
0: So, I mean, I'm interested in this because some might say that, um, you know, John and, and others had a particularly sort of Western way of handling a text in quite a sort of cerebral intellectual, methodical way Um, you know he didn't tell many stories or anything like that so one might expect him to be slightly remote or removed from a lot of places elsewhere in the world you know the bible is a living book Mm
1: -hmm. and so when it's expounded uh, even though culturally it may not be in style um, in the style of our communication uh, the life of the bible comes out now I have tried to follow Stott's method in that I have stuck to the text, mm-hmm. but I have a lot more stories. Our people yes. learn theology uh, using uh, d- learn doctrine. You know, Buddhism, mm-hmm. uh, most of the Buddhist doctrine books are are story books, and mm-hmm. so I have uh, uh, I incorporate a lot of story uh, mm-hmm. in my preaching. So my style may be different, but. Uh, obedience to the text, staying under the text, mm. is what I got from John Stark. So
0: it, it 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 crosses cultures, but then finds its cultural home in each place. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah.
0: I mean, do do you get pushback on that? I mean, do people say you know this is just too
1: rigid, perhaps? Personally, I haven't found that. Uh, maybe partly because I. I mean, I work very hard on application. Hmm. First exegesis and then application. Hmm. So people have, I hope, they they see the Bible come alive Hmm. and and they see it coming, applying to their life. Uh, I haven't had so much negative response Hmm. to Hmm. that. Uh, Hmm. It's when uh, scripture is expounded without much application uh, that, people tend to find it boring and, and right. inappropriate, yeah.
0: Yes. And, and John was certainly wanting to root it in the contemporary, wasn't he? So and certainly when you met him in the 70s, he was really broadening his horizons, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. Actually, uh, in my own life, uh, his book, Issues Facing Christians Today, uh, that was very very important in my own spiritual growth. Actually, a lot of issues uh, that he wrote on uh, was a model to me of how we how mm. we face issues. His uh, his style of using of uh, addressing issues facing the church with a scriptural base became a model to me. Uh, I believe in preaching also was one of those books very important books in my life uh, and then the the cross of christ um, because um, uh, the, that was very important because people uh, there were apologetic type questions that people asked about the cross uh, especially buddhists that uh, that we were not addressing and stopped i mean he didn't address the buddhist questions but he addressed questions regarding the cross Mm. Uh, contemporary questions regarding the cross, and that gave me a lot of uh, strength. In fact, one of the books I wrote was called "The Supremacy of Christ," mm. uh, and um, and the model I tried to use. I mean, I was not following Stock's model, but uh, but you know, I was trying to apply the 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 teaching of the Bible to the questions that uh, Buddhists and Hindus in Sri Lanka and Muslims in Sri Lanka ask. So mm. um, so it it gave me a model of going to look at scripture at the contemporary issues using scripture and see how scripture addresses those issues. So that was a very important model to me.
0: Uh, Perhaps we can come back to that, but let's track back. So after Fuller, do you come straight back to Sri Lanka?
1: Yes, Uh, I I did my first studies at Asbury. Uh, Uh Then I did graduate uh, uh, graduate studies in New Testament. Uh, at fuller and then i came back to sri lanka to lead the youth for christ work there
0: right which you've been doing pretty much ever since haven't you
1: yes actually i i was national director for 35 years and then i stepped down from national directorship and now i'm what they call teaching director which Uh really is uh, it's not an executive role at all i'm not in the leadership i just mentor I teach volunteers, and I'm spending a lot of time ministering to pastors now.
0: That's great. You get to do what you want, in other words.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> so you had links with YFC before you went to the States then, I assume?
1: Yes, I was, uh, I was a volunteer in Youth for Christ before mm-hmm. I went. And so when they asked me whether I would take over, it was almost like a natural thing. It wasn't a big mm-hmm. decision for me to make.
0: So you went to the states knowing you would come back with that new role, did you? always did that evolve? No, no,
1: no. It it was uh, it was in the in the states. Actually, I I was going to a Methodist related school, uh, Asbury, and I'm a Methodist. Mm-hmm. So uh, all my lecturers and my friends, they they couldn't understand why I was thinking of going back to youth to a youth movement. You know, so they many of them suggested you should be going into the pastorate or a theological seminary or something like that. But when, I, when the need came, uh, the, the, the present leader was leaving, and he asked me, will you take over? Uh, I discussed with one of my lecturers, and we, we really felt this was what God was asking me to do. And actually, this pastor of mine, Reverend George Good, um, he was an uh, Irish missionary. Uh, He said, let him go to Youth for Christ, he can send young people to the church. Mm. And uh, and that's, I think, I hope that's what has happened over the years. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have gone into the churches.
0: I wanted to clarify with Ajit what he meant by youth work and young people, as the terms can encompass different age groups depending on where you are in the world. But in Sri Lanka, it can include those in their early 20s. But he told me that Youth for Christ decided some time ago not to minister to university students because other ministries were serving them well. Instead, YFC would focus particularly on the very poor, often therefore working in slum areas. YFC has clubs for children, for teenagers, and young people right up to the age of 25. So looking back over the decades, I
1: asked Ajit what changes he'd observed in the work. When, we, when I started as leader, we were primarily working with nominal Christians. There weren't good youth fellowships. And so we we did a lot of that work with nominal Christians. They were for the most part English speaking because the uh, Westernized, the Protestants at that stage, uh, 45 years ago, Protestants were mostly English speaking people, uh, right. middle class, upper middle class. And, um, And then once the youth fellowships had begun to spring up, we felt we need to stop working with Christians and go to people who are completely outside the church. Mm. So our our strategy changed a lot. Uh, Mm. We we had to study Buddhism. We had to study Hinduism. We had to uh, study their art forms uh, rather than the Christian art form, music, drama. We, we went and learned from them uh, how you do ministry, uh, how you do these art forms. And mm. so we had, to, we had to make some major changes uh, mm. as we went along the way, as we made this transition. So what were some of the biggest changes, do you think? Uh, uh, the message that we p- preached was very different. Um, uh, our major time of when people come to Christ are our, are our evangelistic camps which are a mix of a lot of fun, but also mm-hmm. the gospel is preached.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, uh, the first session that we give is, is there a God? Uh, because the uh, Muslims, uh, Buddhists and Hindus, uh, their understanding of God is very different. The gods, they are, they'll have mm-hmm. various gods, but no real understanding of a supreme God. And then we'll have to explain who—who who is this man, Jesus? Uh, what kind of person was he? while applying christianity to issues that young people face like parents uh, mm-hmm. vocation ambition and you know identity and issues like that so um, so we had to uh, we had to study we, we actually as a staff we studied um uh, one two books one is uh, the gospel and culture it was a lausanne occasional paper called the gospel and culture which John Stott actually had a big part to play in editing. Mm. Um, That we studied together over a few months. We slowly Mm. studied that book together. Mm. Then we studied Acts chapter 17, how Paul Mm. ministered in Athens. Mm. And we asked, how can we apply this to our own ministry? Mm. So, uh, So we had to make some major changes. So our strategy came from the scriptures. Again, that was another of the influence that John Stott had. It was very much uh, culturally very different, I suppose, to what John Stott would have done. Uh, But but the the, the idea that strategy comes from scripture was from that background that we got.
0: It's interesting, because I think, I remember thinking about when I was on the staff at All Souls, the challenge you always have with the, the legacy of someone like John, someone really influential, is you can either try and do the same things, or you can try and do different things, but for the same reasons. So it sounds like you're doing the latter there. You're trying to say, well, John doesn't know Sri Lanka like we do, but but what would he do if he did?
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's right. Yeah, uh, but but there were other things that we applied quite a little more directly. Um, for example you know the, the 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 sri Lankan idea of of a holy man a, a priest so called mm-hmm. priest uh, would be a simple person whereas uh, today the model of a successful pastor is a, is is comes from prosperity theology mm. so that if you are successful you drive a, a you know posh car and things like that
0: you have a tv station
1: Yeah, have your own TV station and things like that. So the the lure of that is very strong, especially because now a lot of the converts and the ministers have come from poor backgrounds. And when you have known the, the pain of poverty, liberation from poverty is a very important aspect of Christianity to them. And it can go to the other extreme. So John Stott gave us a model of simplicity that, that we directly, I mean, I personally, directly followed that, the whole idea of simplicity. And our people are more, um, you know, they, they are more communally oriented uh, than the West. We are not individualistic in our culture. And John Stott's uh, some of his lifestyle choices were more communal than individual, mm-hmm. uh, s- such as this, um, you know, the profit motive, the the uh, consumer mentality. So some of us decided that uh, we will write as part of our, uh, we will write and preach and all of that as part of the movement that we belong to. So I belong to Youth for Christ. So everything I did was part of Youth for Christ. Uh, It was from stop that I got the idea that all my royalties will go to Youth for Christ. And uh, and, uh, they go mainly for the education of our staff. Uh, we work with poor people and most of our staff are from uh, the people who have been raised up in youth for christ so they are not educated so once they join staff they get educated mm. so we uh, we educate them so so th- those were models that we could directly mm. apply and actually they are more closer to our culture than they are, mm. i think to the western culture where there is more of a individual initiative is loaded
0: that's fascinating i mean did you Talk about that kind of thing with John. I mean, I assume he came and visited you in Sri Lanka, did he?
1: Yes. No, I haven't talked much about it. Uh, but uh, it, knowing that he did that mm. helped me. Mm. Uh, my my father was a a layman, but he was involved in a lot of international for, forum, you know, like Lausanne and things like mm. that. So he would tell me about John Stott. He was a friend of John Stott's. So right. he would tell me and... And those things influenced, I said, that's the way I would like to go to. But you kept in touch with John over the years, did you? Yes. Uh, Even though I hardly met him, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I met him that time in in seminary. And then I met him in 1978. That was two years after I had started work with Youth for Christ. I met him at a conference. And the first question he asked me was, are you studying? (laughs) And and that was... uh, uh, that was a very important question. It still is, a, is, a, yeah. is, is an important priority for me. Because as you get more and more busy uh, in mm-hmm. ministry, you don't study. You don't have to have the time. You, you mm-hmm. just read little, little things. Uh, you don't study. But after that encounter, uh, during that conference, I, I, I was able to have a chat, a long chat with him. Then there was another conference uh, again where I had an, a, a really long chat with him. And after that, he would write to me. So that was very special. He, uh, I would send him my newsletter and he would write back. So those, uh, those things were very special. And now I'm spending a lot of my time writing to younger, younger mm-hmm. people who write, asking questions and things like that. So the, the fact that he, uh, he would take time to write to this unknown young uh, Christian worker uh, meant a lot to me.
0: Do you remember some of the things that he, he would talk about in the letters? I mean, did he have a sense of what challenges you were facing in Sri Lanka would be?
1: Uh, no, I, I would uh, sometimes say, I want to write a book on a topic. Mm-hmm. And he would write back saying, uh, this is a good uh, book on it. Mm-hmm. You know, some the things like that. And uh, sometimes he would uh, write to me asking me for suggestions. Like mm-hmm. I remember when he wrote uh, The Incomparable Christ. Uh, he wrote asking about Sadhu Singh and whether I have things about him. Uh, uh, so we, we we dialogued in that way, yeah.
0: I mean, I, there's that famous um, <clears throat> illustration in the Cross of Christ where he talks about going into a Buddhist temple and then his mind turning to, to Calvary and the contrast. Um, I mean, it's fascinating that he did, even though obviously Buddhism was very remote from London in the 60s and 70s, He was trying to get his sort of feet into the shoes of people in different parts of the world, wasn't he? And I guess um, his friendship with people like you would have helped him do that.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think think the thing that he convinced me about is that I need to study. I need to study Buddhism. I need to study the way people think. I need to ask the questions that they ask. Uh, And uh, uh, yeah, so that was something that I learned from him.
0: Were there things that you found difficult or you disagreed with in in what you read or heard from him?
1: Uh, uh, One difference, as I said, is that I use much more illustrations than he does, Mm -hmm. because I felt culturally, that is, of course, as a youth worker, uh, (laughs) uh, speaking to young people, battling for their attention required a lot of... So that was one difference. But um, I... disagreed with him on his answer to one of the most difficult questions that we all struggle with, which was the doctrine of hell. Right. Um, uh, the, you know, the, the difficult questions. I, I tried to answer that difficult question uh, using the idea of degrees of punishment. And we don't know uh, the the extent of these degrees of punishment. He opened himself, though he never dogmatically uh, spoke mm-hmm. openly, mm-hmm. he opened himself to the possibility of annihilation. Mm-hmm. so I wrote a book on hell actually really? uh, it, was on a, it was one of my first books, and so I did a wow. chapter on annihilation. Uh, and um, I f- had a f- end note um, mentioning him, but I did I dared not mention his name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, because, to let uh, the reader understand. <laughs> uh, and uh, and before I sent the book to the publisher, I sent him this, that chapter, mm-hmm. and and I told him this is what I have written, and he wrote back uh, saying uh, we we both have to study the scriptures more. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was his response, and yes. uh, and so um, uh, I mean it's it's a very difficult issue, yes. and uh, we you know we, we we disagreed on the answer that each one gave.
0: But I mean, I suppose the thing about John on that, as indeed a number of things, is that it, it, it wasn't closed down, was it? He didn't say, you know, my way or the highway, and he didn't say, this is the end of the discussion.
1: That's right, yeah. Um,
0: but some people treated him like that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, did, did he come
1: to Sri Lanka during your time? Yes, he came, uh, he came several times, mm-hmm. uh, maybe three times. I'm, I'm not I'm not exactly sure, but actually that was very, very important. Uh, we, we came from mainline churches. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, there were very little non-mainline churches in the country. There was an extreme Pentecostal group that was very vibrant and had grown quite vibrantly, but they didn't have much connection with anybody else within the right. Christian spectrum. Uh, it was the parachurch groups, Uh, in the 60s and 70s, where there was an evangelical witness was mainly in the para-church groups. Uh, The churches had got very embarrassed by the British, uh, you know, uh, the history Mm of association with the colonial masters Mm -hmm. and uh, had turned very liberal. So we Uh grew up in in very liberal churches. Uh, Fortunately for me, I had this uh, irish missionary who was who became mm. our pastor who was very evangelical but uh, but we were sort of given the impression that we were we were people who had uh, you know committed intellectual suicide uh-huh. uh, people would say oh we also believe like you did and uh, you know
0: and now but we don't, uh, <laughs>
1: yeah yeah uh, but uh, there were two people who visited us john stott and uh, uh, three people John Stott, J.I. Packer, mm-hmm. and Carl Henry. Ah. Carl Henry was uh, a lecturer at large for, uh, for World Vision.
0: Yeah. And
1: he would spend a considerable amount of time uh, in, the, in the East. Uh, mm. And um, few people understood what he was saying. <laughs> but, but they knew this is a learned man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Packer and Stott, on the other hand, were more understandable. Mm-hmm. but at the same time they were they we, we knew these are people who knew the scriptures and who were intellectually honest right. and intellectually able mm-hmm. so to us younger uh, people i mean i i i turned i was evangelical thanks to my mother who was uh, brought up in a very fundamentalist type small group and she's a convert mm-hmm. from buddhism and she taught us the scriptures and, um, and my father was not evangelical, and with time he began to change. And, uh, and then he, he also moved in that direction. So we were sort of all alone, feeling completely out of it. And uh, these people coming to our, our little country was so important to us for our own growth.
0: That's fascinating. I want to follow up on something you said because there seems to be an irony in the reaction against colonialism, which is perfectly understandable, particularly with countries around the empire getting their independence in the 60s and so on. Um, But to react against colonialism by embracing liberalism is ironic, isn't it? Because that's within Britain and the West. That's exactly what was happening as well.
1: yeah but uh, but, but oh, evangelism was viewed and still is viewed as an extension of colonialism
0: uh-huh.
1: so they 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 saw evangelism as the West uh, trying to control through the Bible this time earlier through the uh-huh. gun but right. now through the Bible uh, they are trying to control us and of course uh, even globalization is looked at in that direction. the West mm-hmm. is trying to control uh, the global trade and things like that so um
0: and there's something in that
1: <laughs> yeah uh, so this was part of this national awakening uh nationalism became very powerful uh everything was blamed on the west and christians were lumped with the western right. as, as a western religion So, so the reaction to that was to give up anything that smacked of arrogance and yeah. to say that christ was unique to them was arrogant,
0: and I suppose that filtered back to the West to inform Western liberalism as sort of post-colonial guilt. I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, most post-colonial, I mean, that's a that's a new field of study, not new anymore, but that's mm. a very vibrant field of study, and a lot of it is quite liberal in its thinking. Mm. Mm.
0: So I guess if you've had opposition in the country, it's often with that kind of framework behind it. Is, is that fair?
1: Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, that. Uh, the, this was until the, about the uh, late 80s. Uh, by the time the early 90s came, there was a resurgence of evangelical thinking. It came a lot with the charismatic movement, and I think uh, groups like us, like Youth for Christ, uh, the IFES group, uh, the, the, they, they there was a little more uh, influence within the, the church. So now you still, the, the, the theological college may be quite liberal, but still people are a little more accommodating of evangelical mm-hmm. thought within, within the church now. Mm-hmm. But would you say that, say, his
0: writing now is still influential amongst people coming up in in the church today? Or do you think that people have moved on?
1: No, because his writings were scripturally based, Hmm. I think there is a a continuing relevance to that. Hmm. Uh, I remember my son telling me a few days ago, I'm reading Stott, and it's so enriching, so enriching. Mm. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, uh, the Bible is a living book. Mm. And when people expound the scriptures, it is living. Mm. So people who love the Bible are going to find it uh, interesting. So I think there is still a place for that. Mm.
0: And I guess because he didn't use many stories, it means that it doesn't sound so dated because... It's yeah, that's it, it right. can transfer. Yeah. Now, the situation in Sri Lanka now is um, looking pretty bleak. Um, I wonder if you might just explain something of what's happening um, and uh, how, as believers, you you speak into that and try and be a witness in in that. Um, Because Ukraine has obviously taken the headlines around the world, but um, Sri Lanka has got its own deep woes and challenges, as well as other parts of the world. So could you just tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, uh, actually uh, we are reaping the fruit of uh, irresponsible economic policies that have been there during 70 years of independence that we've had as a country. Um, money was spent on infrastructure things, huge monies were spent on roads and things like that. Uh, And uh, obviously there seemed to have been uh, heavy corruption, large percentages have gone to the politicians. Uh, So people tolerated that because they saw things happening, you know, things look good. And then the government made this fatal mistake of trying to go into 100% organic uh, agriculture overnight. Uh, Uh, It normally takes about 10 years to make this thing. So now we are without without, uh, harvests. Wow! Uh, All the scholars said, don't, don't, don't. But these people just went and did it. And we don't have, uh, the farmers are agitating. And then what happened was that so tourism stopped because of the COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, foreign exchange stopped coming and we don't have money now. So we don't have money to buy food, to buy gas, uh, cooking gas. Uh, most of our people use cooking gas for cooking, uh, for mm-hmm. petrol and diesel, for vehicles. Um, there is no money. So there are long queues. Uh, every day you get like a, 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 a kilometer long queue mm-hmm. for, for petrol. And after staying for five, six hours, the petrol is over. So people are very angry. The, suddenly they realize we allow these people to fleece us mm. and, uh, and we, did, we just took it, you know. So, so of course, one, one thing that has happened is that the, 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 uh, successive governments came into power using the nationalistic thing, you know, the, the majority religion, and race has to look after itself so vote mm-hmm. for us to save your race and religion uh, and now people are united in their grief so uh. one, one of the good things that has happened is that racism this prejudice thing has been broken uh, uh. In, a, in a common quest for, for solving the country's problems wow. so what happened was that there were a lot of protests and then a movement arose asking the president to leave, Hmm. uh, of peaceful protesters. And
0: non-partisan, presumably.
1: Yes, non-partisan, peaceful protesters, different groups trying to claim credit for it. But Hmm. it it was a very spontaneous type of movement. But the other side is that the poor and the middle class are really suffering. Prices have gone up. Because there was no money in the country, Hmm. the, the government printed billions and billions of rupees so when you print money like that uh, inflation takes place and the price of everything goes up they don't have money for all these things that i, I mentioned earlier and mm. so people are really struggling they don't know how to cook uh, you know everyone they are, they are using uh, uh, firewood now because they have they don't have fuel uh, and uh, and those who have money can buy at inflated rates. Others are are struggling. Uh, one of our staff said today uh, at our staff devotions, um, having three meals a day is a bonus now, mm. you know, because because uh, because it's it's got so expensive. So so that's the situation in the country. So we are just hoping that someone will bail us out. I mean, it's a very sad situation to be in. Uh, uh, And and, uh, the economic experts said, go to the International Monetary Fund, uh, whose job is to try and help countries that are. But they place a lot of conditions. Yes. uh, Some fair, some unfair. So this government said, no, we won't go there. And Mm. everyone said, go. That's the only hope. But they didn't go there. And then when we were bankrupt, now they are going there. But it's too late. It's too little, too late. So, uh, so Christians, I think there there are two lines of action. Uh, I mean, everybody is writing their opinions. You know, you know, with uh, with social media today, it mm. it is uh, you. There's a deluge of things. Mm. Uh, but uh, everyone you know, is a pundit now. <laughs> yeah, everyone has become a pundit. Uh, but um, but uh, should we be involved in the protests? That's one of the issues. Uh, personally, I felt that it's right for us to go and join in peaceful protests. It was not a popular position among all the Christians, but many mm-hmm. Christians did join. But uh, but then some of these protests turned violent and insulting. So Christians can't be violent and we respect humans, even people on the other side, so we can't insult them. Mm-hmm. So the, it, it was it, it, it's a difficult issue that we have to do. But the other thing that we have to do is to bring relief to people who are starving, people whose parents are chill. We work with you and the parents are stopping them from going to school, from uh, continuing their studies because they can't afford to have right. their children to study. So uh, we've been thinking, 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 how can we help? What can we do? I mean, uh, two of our centers started serving refreshments, uh, tea or water. To those in the queues uh, for petrol, for kerosene wow. or for gas or whatever, uh, you know, uh, whatever we can do at this time, Christians need mm. to be asking, what can we do? How can we be involved?
0: Mm. I mean, that that is inspiring and I think a challenge to us all to because I think all around the world, the challenges are going to only get bigger, aren't they? I think I was just reading in the paper today about um, the impact on food supply of the war in Ukraine for, for the whole world um, so that's um, very inspiring for us to, to think carefully about our own context and what we need to be doing and I, I can hear almost in what you were saying I can hear Uncle John um, speaking you know very similar terms um, even from the 70s wasn't he he was talking about whether Christians could go on strike, so as we draw to a close, this has been a really fascinating conversation. Ajita, I'm very grateful to you for, for sparing the time, especially with so many things on your shoulders going on. But I wonder if you could sum up John's impact on you personally, just in terms of your you know, decades of ministry experience and personal you know, life.
1: Uh, I think there are two, two things that he impacted me with. First and most important was to be biblical uh, and to apply the Bible to the situation that we are faced in. So uh, study exegesis, careful study of the scriptures, uh, that that was a big thing. And and to me, that started with the Urbana missions uh, conference, Bible studies that I read. The second thing was to live a simple life uh and uh, and it's you don't have to be ashamed not to be rich. Mm. Uh, you don't have to be ashamed not to have a posh car and and all those things. Uh, but um, if you if you're going to identify with your people, in our culture where simplicity is viewed uh, associated with religiosity, uh, I, uh, for us, living simply uh, and you know uh, sharing our resources with others, Uh, That was very important to me. It was very
0: striking, wasn't it, that from an early age, Adit was devouring John Stott's books, spending weeks working through his Bible Speaks Today commentaries and other books. He represents countless thousands across the globe who read them in English or in translation and found themselves brought into a deeper, more enriched faith. Well, Langham Literature today does so much more than simply distributing John's books. It gives grants to seminary libraries and preaching training events. It is also a publisher in its own right, commissioning and publishing books from across the majority world. I doubt that there are any comparable imprints which result in theologians from South Asia getting read in East Africa or from the Andes being read in the Balkans. It's an incredibly exciting and pioneering ministry, so please do pray that it would be a key element in enabling the global church to be listening and learning from brothers and sisters from the rest of the global church. Thank you so much for listening to The Stock Legacy. Thank you also to my Langham Partnership colleagues who have helped to make this podcast a reality. And special thanks to Vic Marseille from Langham Partnership UK and Ireland for all her hard work in editing and producing each episode. Please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Recommend it to friends. And above all, tune in next time. Until then, goodbye.